Hi, I'm Pastor Kaylee. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Wood Street Chapel in Fortuna, California. You can find out more information about our church at www.woodstreetchapel.org. So this morning we're talking about job descriptions. And as a director in the IT industry that that I work in, I'm occasionally called to write out new job descriptions for one department or another. And there is a very critical line that I make sure to include in every job description that I write. More important than the dress code, more important than the expected hours, more important than the paid holidays or the pay scale, one single line that reads, and any other duties assigned by your supervisor. <laughs> Every job description I write will have that. And it's like, well, yeah, but that's, that's not very clear. That leaves a lot of room for ambiguity. Well, yeah, it does. But sometimes we need that ambiguity, right? And so in, in preparation for this morning, I found a few good job descriptions that I thought you might appreciate. Um, here's a, a job description for Subway that says, come to work for Subway and have your dreams crushed like the rest of us. Weekends required. <laughs> Waitress needed. Must be 18 years old with 20 years of experience. Wanted. Someone to grind or chew hay for horses with bad teeth. Contact James Bud Williams. Seems like something that Bud would ask for. Uh, Surgeon wanted for a new health clinic opening in the area. No experience needed. Must have your own tools. (laughs) Doesn't that kind of seem like Humboldt County a little bit? (laughs) I don't know. Maybe, hopefully that doesn't offend anyone, but as as someone who's been through the medical industry in Humboldt County, it sometimes feels that way. Just saying. Wanted part-time salesperson who won't quit after two months, who works hard and doesn't think she's doing me a favor by working here, who can take a joke and won't cry every day on the job. (laughs) Yeah, not ambiguous at all. And so as we look at the job descriptions for disciples, as we come to what we're we're actually going to be talking about this morning, we see that, that theirs was really just made up of my favorite line. Follow me. Like, that was all they got. That was, that was the only job description that really showed up. They, did, they didn't get a description of what the operating hours were. They didn't get a description of, hey, like, just so you know, this stuff might happen. That came later. The, the invitation, the job description that was given to the disciples was, follow me. And what's interesting is if we stop and we look at modern Christianity, if we stop and look at, maybe, maybe modern Christianity isn't right. Maybe if we stop and look at Western Christianity, it is morphed into, it's morphed from following Jesus to accepting Jesus, to believing Jesus. And, and that might catch some of you because like, well, I, I've said that before and I have too, okay? But think for a minute about what that means. It's not that it's wrong, but think for a minute about the difference between following Jesus and accepting Jesus. We don't need people to follow or accept the Great Commission. We need people to do it. So 
Do you understand? Accepting is important. That's the, the first step. But if we stop at acceptance and don't actually participate, nothing is ever going to get done. Are we going to do, are we doing what we're called to do to make disciples? Do, right? Action. Mark 3, 7 through 21. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great crowd followed him from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Idumea and from beyond the Jordan and from around Tyre and Sidon. So all over. And when a great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him. And he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. For he had healed many, so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and they cried out, You are the Son of God. And he strictly ordered them not to make that known, not to make him known. And he went up on the mountain and he called to him those who he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed 12, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach. And to have authority to cast out demons, he appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boanerges, that is, the sons of thunder, Andrew, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Then he went home, and the, the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, he is out of his mind. So as we read through all of the different areas of Scripture, not just through Mark, but as you, you have read through the different gospel accounts of the life and the work of Jesus, we see that all of the peoples of the region, regardless of background, found some level of commonality in the person of Jesus. I mean, just in those first few verses, we see people coming from all over the countryside, all, all over the, the, the region that Jesus is in. They're all coming. And they're all coming because they're in search of something. They're all coming because of who Jesus is and because of what Jesus has done. And that's what we continue to seek out even today here at Wood Street Chapel. Here in the, the church in general, we, we want to see all the nations of the earth. We want to see every tribe, tongue, and nation. And we've, we've made jokes about it. If we have a church where everyone looks like Matt Murrish, we there's a problem. As Jesus' ministry continues to grow, he doesn't, Jesus isn't developing a personal space problem. Okay? He's not asking for a boat because he's like, I just need my me time. He knows that people are getting so caught up in the immediate physical needs that they are facing that they run the risk of ignoring the larger spiritual needs 
that exist in their life. Do you th- is that something you ever run into? Do you guys ever have those, those times where it's the, the physical, the, the immediate need that exists in your life is so big that it just seems to absorb all of the focus? I, I ran into that this week and, and maybe into the previous couple of weeks where there was just something that was going on in my life. And, and in the scheme of things, was it a big deal? No. Probably not. People weren't going to die. Nobody was sick or anything like that. It was just, there was a lot of stuff going on to the point where you're just like, man, every waking moment is, is devoted to figuring out how to deal with this. And then when I try to go to sleep, I'm thinking about this particular thing and it's, it's just consuming. And then all of a sudden there's this moment of clarity where it's like, yeah, but is God bigger than that? Is that, is that really what I'm called to, to allow to take from my relationship with my family? Am, am I going to allow this to take from how I continue to do what I'm called to do effectively? Is that really the thing that is going to stop me from functioning? Or am I going to pause and recognize who God is even in the midst of this? But can I just be completely brutally honest for a minute. It would have been so much better if that clarification, if that clarity, if that understanding would have come like a day into the process. (laughs) It wasn't until I was a good solid two and a half weeks through it that I was like, oh yeah, (laughs) that's who God is. That's that's what, what God thinks about me. That, that's the, the love that God has for me. This situation that the words that are being said don't define who I am. These, these things don't define who I am. God defines who I am. And so as, as Jesus' ministry is continuing to grow in, in popularity and as all of these people are coming, coming for a specific physical need, saying, this is the most important thing to me right now. He says, you think it is, but I know so much more. I love you too much to allow you to get focused on that specific thing because I have something that's going to change your life for forever. And so that's why he goes into this boat. That's why he, he comes away. As the ministry continues to grow, we see that even demons are proclaiming who Jesus is. I know who you are, son of God. And it's interesting that so far in the book of Mark, we've seen God proclaim who Jesus is. This is my son. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. We've seen God proclaim who Jesus is. We've now seen demons proclaim who Jesus is. But we've not yet seen mankind proclaim who Jesus is. In fact, you're not going to see it until Mark 15. Why does he silence the demons? You know, from a marketing standpoint, from a publicity standpoint, it's like, man, like somebody get out a phone and, and like start recording this. This is good stuff. Even the enemy is, is proclaiming the, the name of Jesus. 
that was never the focus. Why wasn't that the focus? Jesus, Jesus doesn't want people coming to him based solely on what they can get from him. Think about what a relationship would be if, if the basis of that relationship was solely built upon what you could get from that person. How broken would that be? How disappointing would that be for both parties? Jesus doesn't want people coming to him because they have a specific need that, that once met, they turn around and leave. God is calling us to a relationship that's ongoing. So in this job description, there's, there's responsibilities that exist that, that come alongside that are subheadings of follow me. That maybe, maybe there should have been a little asterisk at the bottom of follow me, knowing that, that ministry needs in this life are never going to stop or let up or get easier. That was probably an asterisk that I may have added if I was Jesus. There will always be one more person to help. There will always be one more need to fulfill, one more painful situation to step into, one more situation in which comfort is needed. You'll notice that any time that we see Jesus being flocked to by all of the different people that, that are coming to him, you don't really see many times where the people are flocking to Jesus, pressing him into a boat even so that he has to leave because they are asking, hey, we want to teach this Sunday school class. How do we do that? <laughs> There's not a lot of people pushing Jesus into the boat saying, hey, we noticed that you've been working a really long time. Is there anything we can do to help support you in this? Is, is there anything that we can do to, to be a part of this? That, that seems to be conspicuously missing from the gospel accounts. They're coming to Jesus because they need something. But when we think about it, why did we come to Jesus? We came to Jesus because we needed something. And it's only after that need is met that you recognize, oh, there's more. But what we see here in this specific account is more people follow Jesus to benefit from his ministry than to contribute to it. And, you know, let's just be honest for a minute. Really, how much are we going to be contributing to Jesus' ministry on earth? Like, that, that seems like kind of a high bar to, to live up to, right? So, but still, the, the thought is not even documented. We don't see that ever come up. So, people are coming to the relationship to see what they can get out of it. And as we said, that, that foundation can't stand. But what do we know in John 3.16? God so loved the world that he gave. If we are truly following Christ, then I have to ask the question, why do I work so hard to see what I can get? If I'm truly following Christ, shouldn't I be figuring out how, how do I give? 
And so instead of of making people solely dependent on himself, Jesus multiplies his work by calling out the disciples. He says, follow me. Jesus wasn't saying, I need me time. He wasn't saying, this is hard or or, I'm exhausted. I need some backup because this is never going to work if it's just me. No. But as we've seen through the book of Mark, Jesus, Jesus has met every single need. But Jesus still creates opportunities to serve for his disciples. Not only for their benefit, not only for the benefit of those who would serve and minister, who they would serve and minister to, but also for the benefit of those that would come after. The gospel of Jesus was not supposed to be just something that happened while Jesus was alive. If that was the point, then Jesus could have just done everything on his own and it would have been a done deal. But would we have still been talking about it today? Jesus knew that his ministry, that if it was centered solely around him and that no one else was involved, then that impact on the, from his ministry wouldn't stretch beyond his lifetime, his time here on earth. There needed to be witnesses. We use that word a lot, right? That we're, we're going to witness for Christ. What does it mean to be a witness? It means you're talking about something that you have seen firsthand. That's who these 12 disciples were. They were the witnesses who, who saw what Jesus, who Jesus was, who saw what Jesus did, and then witnessed about it, shared it, saying, this is what God has done, and I've seen it. I know it's true. And so when we witness, when we go out into the world, when we share with our neighbors, with our coworkers and, and family and, and all of those people we come in contact with, when we're a witness, we're saying, this is how God has moved in my life. This is what God has done. I've seen it firsthand, and I know he can speak into this situation. I know he can impact your life in ways that are beyond anything you could ask, think, or imagine. And so we have these witnesses, people who had experienced firsthand, and then they would be able to preach the gospel of salvation and love for all the nations of the earth. Do you ever think when, when Jesus was making disciples, so he, he calls Peter, right? He calls Levi, he calls all these people. And, you know, he says, okay, now you guys go out and lay hands on people and pray for them. Minister to, to this group of people because there's, there's thousands, right? We, we need to pray. Do you ever think that there was a situation where somebody was talking to Peter and like, I came to get prayed for by Jesus. <laughs> like, that's all well and good that you want to lay hands on me, and, but I, I want to be prayed for by Jesus. But Jesus knows I'm not going to be on this earth for forever. There are some other players who need to get in the game. And so there's these requirements that exist as we continue through this job description. There's an expectation that, that we would pursue. If you look at Mark 3, 13 through 19, when he's calling the disciples, it says he calls those whom he desired. Let's just 
Just stop and think about that for a minute. The creator of the universe had a desire to work with these 12 men. And that desire extends to us today. The creator of the world has invited us to kingdom work with him. Not because he needs us. Not because somehow I am the missing link to making all of this stuff work, but because he wants us. And so these disciples, they start as disciples, as, as students, but then you'll see in, in those verses, they become apostles. That's a transition that is expected, that's supposed to happen to all of us, is that you start out as a student, you start out receiving, and then you're supposed to be sent out. You're supposed to go and make disciples. That's what being an apostle means in this specific context. Jesus doesn't need you. He wants you. In Scripture, we see over and over and over and over again that God can use anyone. God can use any situation, anything to accomplish his work. He used a donkey to speak. Maybe some of you are like, yeah, he uses a donkey like every Sunday morning. Uh, no. <laughs> How prideful would we become if it was saying that, that's right, the kingdom of God is dependent on me and my best efforts. Man, thank goodness that is not the case. Can I just tell you, thank goodness that the kingdom of God does not depend on me being good enough. That the work of God's kingdom being on earth as it is in heaven is not dependent on whether or not you guys are good enough. There's this cherry-picked verse that comes from Esther that says, you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. And we love that. Why do we love that? We love that because it's like, man, I am here for a reason. <laughs> this terrible thing that is going on in my life is here for a reason. God has not forgotten about me, and I am important. I mean, what is the context if we just look at it just like that, just in and of itself? I, you are chosen for just such a time as this. That means that it's all depending on you. That God has placed you in this situation where he needs you to do him a favor and bail him out. Maybe you haven't thought about it that way before, but that's what it means if we just take it in that context by itself. Do you want to know what the rest of verse 14 says? <laughs> for if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arrive from another place, but you and your family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. <laughs> That's the proper perspective. <laughs> God's not going to be messed up by you deciding not to participate. Okay, He's going to get done whatever he needs to get done. You're the one who misses out when you choose to skip out on what God's calling you to. Does that make sense? 
Can I say that sometimes I, I like to think about the second part of that verse a little too much? It's like, yeah, I, I'm here for just this reason because God needed me. He called in the big guns, and here I am. Nope. Just doesn't work that way. So not only are we called to pursue, we're called to be in God's presence. We're called to be with him. When he calls these 12 men, these 12 men leave their families, they leave their livelihood, they leave everything that they've ever known, and they're with him. can't do things for the kingdom of God until you know the king. Jesus knew that before the disciples could be apostles, before they could be sent out to, to further the kingdom of God, first they needed to know who the king was. First they needed to know that what it meant to be a follower of Jesus, what it meant to be part of the family, what it meant to be a child of God. I'm going to be a terrible witness to who Jesus is if I'm not around him. But what do we see? The more that I'm with Jesus, the more I'm like Jesus. If we look at the lives of the disciples, the more that they were with Jesus, the more they became like Jesus. We have a purpose. Jesus sent the 12 out and he says, go and preach. That's scary. If I said, hey, Arnie, I'd like you to come up and just give us a quick, like maybe 60 minute dissertation on saved, you know, grace through faith, all that. But That'd be kind of a lot, right? And, and maybe it'd be less nerve-wracking because you know these people, but let's just imagine there was like 100 people that you've never met before and you say, you got this. That's a lot. <laughs> I don't think that's what they're talking about here. Maybe for some people it is. We participate in kingdom ministry by sharing with others what Jesus has taught us. That's preaching. The conversations, Janelle, that you have with the family that's about to lose their child, that's preaching. And it doesn't mean that you prepared a sermon. It doesn't mean that you have all these bullet points that you're trying to hit. It doesn't mean that, that at the end of the message there's some invitation to, to accept Christ. It's saying, I can't even begin to imagine the hardship that you are going through. But I know Jesus does. I know that, that people are terrified to come up onto this stage and talk for any amount of time. <laughs> but is what's happening here this morning in this moment any more powerful 
than the continued witness of who God is and what he has done in your life that you share with your neighbor, your coworker, or somebody else that you come in contact with. It's not. There is, there is nothing less powerful about that conversation than what's happening here this morning, just in this moment. In fact, I would say it's much more powerful because they are the ones who need to hear this message. Matt, I'm not gifted. I don't have the training. I don't have any great ideas. Can I just tell you, let's leave your great ideas on the shelf for just a minute, and maybe we can make do with what Jesus has done. Seems like that might be good enough to hold us over until your good ideas catch up. I mean, the disciples, if we, we look at the, the epistles that come towards the end of the New Testament, we look at the letters that the, the apostles wrote, that the disciples wrote, they shared what they learned from being with Jesus. There's power that, that comes in this job description. Authority to cast out demons. Ministry is pushing back the dominion of the enemy and ushering in God's kingdom. And now, like, just in case you were, there wasn't some, like, Christian deliverance meeting that happens, like, you know, once you receive Christ that you're, like, now worried, like, did I miss it? How, what's supposed to be happening here? No, pushing back the enemy takes place in those conversations that you're having, saying this is who God is. The enemy will push back against you, but greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. I mean, we look at these disciples that have followed Jesus, these named disciples and the examples of how Jesus transformed them. Peter, we know that Peter had some issues, right? Peter was, was pretty quick to, to whip out the sword and cut off ears, and, and he was maybe a little bit more shoot from the hip sometimes. Jesus, you can't go to the cross. You can't suffer. You can't deal with these things. And yet after he's been with Jesus, what is his epistle about? How to suffer and take on the cross. James and John, the sons of thunder. Sounds like a really cool name. It's like, man, I, I want Jesus to call me something like that. I don't know that it was necessarily a compliment. One of the reasons they probably have that name is where, where John's offering, hey, Jesus, these people are saying bad things and, and I don't like them and I'm going to call down fire from heaven. Is that okay? He's like, go for it. Like, <laughs> give it a shot. See what happens. And yet, if we fast forward to the epistle of John, what is the number one word that's shared? Love. 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 Jesus brings Matthew, the tax collector, who works for the Roman government, alongside Simon the Zealot, who is actively trying to overthrow the Roman government, and he puts them both together and says, hey, let's do a trust fall. He didn't really say that, but I'm just, imagine, right, that he's putting these two together. Saying, we're going to come together and we're going to do work. Follow me. And you thought talking to a friend about, from a different political party was hard. How do you think these two guys got along? 
the commonality in the person of Jesus Christ. That's bigger than these things. So the religious leaders of the time, they would have never approved of this team that Jesus put together. They would have said, what are you thinking? This is a a terrible plan. We've seen these guys. We know what they've done. And yet Jesus was never once beholding to the religious leaders of that time. None of these people would have been disciples if, if we got to make our choice. And yet Jesus picked exactly who he picked for the exact reasons that he knew were relevant. If the people that the religious leaders would have picked became the disciples, I don't think very much would have gotten done. People wouldn't have been healed. Jesus, you can't say that. You can't heal him. You can't do that thing. None of that fits within the structure that we we know exists today. The disciples were unqualified to begin with. And really, most should have probably been disqualified if you look at the lives that they lived. And yet, as they're following Jesus, as they continue to follow Jesus, eventually to be sent out, Jesus still uses them. How many of you have been disqualified? in your own minds? How many of you have allowed others to disqualify you? How many of you feel unqualified saying, I am not able to do these things that I've been called to do? The only qualification you need is the word of Jesus that says, you are my chosen. And sometimes there's this temptation to say, I'm not ready yet. I'm not good enough. I need more time. I need more experience. I need more training. How much more experience do you need? We are not called to be forever in training. We are not called to be forever in school. He has called us to get in the game. And finally, if we follow Jesus, as we see this example, Jesus' family comes. Jesus' mom and his brothers and sisters, they come and they're saying, you are embarrassing us. Stop it. Man, can you imagine like being there in heaven with Jesus and having that in in the Bible is like, I know, sorry. (laughs) My bad. You are ruining the reputation of this family. But do you know what? He was. (laughs) But what Jesus was doing was bigger than the reputation of his family. Man, just wait. There's going to be so much more than this. What we see in this job description is that your faith family might prove to be closer than your physical family sometimes. Jesus' ministry is exploding, and he calls his disciples, and he brings them to become like family to him. And the reason that this is important is that some of you have been hurt or are being hurt by your physical family. But did you know that there is a family in the body of Christ that loves you?
And this isn't to say that we've given up on our, our physical family, on our biological family, or that we abandon praying and contending for them. All of those things continue to happen, but we should take hope and comfort that we are at home in the body of Christ. That the body of Christ welcomes, that the body of Christ encourages, prays for, and builds up. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. God, we thank you for this time. God, we, we come this morning and we, we hear that call of follow me. And Lord, I, I feel like I, I have a pretty good understanding of where the, the group that's here this morning stands We've made those decisions to follow you. But God, it takes more than just that one decision. There, there's action that, that should be coming from that decision. There, there should be actions that reflect the, the inward change that has already taken place through your saving grace. Lord, we want to see your kingdom come. We want to see you move in our families. We want to see you move in our workplaces and, and in the relationships that we have. God, we come and we, we contend for that this morning. Lord, I ask that you would give encouragement, that you would remind us of who you are and who we are to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you'd like more information about Wood Street Chapel, check out our website, woodstreetchapel.org, or email us, info at woodstreetchapel.org. Connect with us on Facebook to stay in the loop. 